Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collings, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 19 of the podcast. Today, we're talking about the ninth episode of Star Trek Picard. A in Acadia Ego Part 1. A, et. I want to say A because in French, ET is pronounced A. It means and. But the rest of the title is in English. So I, I don't know what's going on with this title. <laughs> anyway, it's the first Star Trek episode title that's had Part 1 in it for a very, very long time. Voyager was probably the last show to do it. Actually, I think Enterprise used the same title with parts 1 and 2 for the two-parter in a mirror darkly. Anyway, this is the second last episode of season 1. Can you believe it? The description on Memory Alpha reads, Following an unconventional and dangerous transit, Picard and crew finally arrive at Soji's homeworld, Capellius. However, with Romulan warbirds on their tail, their arrival brings only greater danger as the crew discovers more than expected about the planet's inhabitants. The teleplay for this episode was by Michael Shabon and Ayelet Waldman. The story was by Michael Shabon and Ayelet Waldman and Akiva Goldsman. The episode was directed by Akiva Goldsman, and it first aired on the 19th of March, 2020. Make it so. In story structure, the second plot point takes place at the 75% mark of the book or film. It comes just after the darkest moment, when all hope seems lost. It signifies the protagonist setting off for the final showdown, heading towards the climax, and it signals the beginning of Act 3. The end of last week's episode felt very much like the second plot point, and it's showing up in roughly the right place. So this is Act 3. After a harrowing trip through a Borg transwarp conduit, the La Serena arrives at Soji's homeworld, a place called Capellius. Agnes is still wandering the ship and asks, am I still under arrest? I'm still kind of shocked that they've brought her here to the Synth homeworld. I know she says she's turned over a new leaf, but honestly, this is a risk I wouldn't be taking. She killed the man she loved in order to prevent the creation of new Synths. Now, she says she won't harm the synths themselves. I wouldn't be taking any chances with her. If I were in Picard's shoes, I'd have continued to DS-12 to drop her off. Or if the urgency of the situation didn't allow it, which is how Picard ultimately felt, I'd be keeping Agnes under close guard. Just in case. Anyway, Narek shows up and they have a nice little space battle. They manage to get in a lucky shot, which gives them a nice moment to discuss the morality of rescuing your enemies. But it turns out to be a bit of a ruse. They really don't stand a chance against Nerek's advanced fighter. But surprise, a honking big Borg cube comes out of the corridor. I cheered out loud when this happened. Seven! But then the cube doesn't have a chance to be awesome. The orchids are really cool. A bunch of giant, space-faring flowers come up and swallow the ships. This was really cool. This is Star Trek. 
This is the kind of wondrous thing you find at a strange new world. So the flowers drag the ships down to the surface in a visual and audio extravaganza that rivals any big screen movie I've seen. I was a little sceptical about the flowers bringing down the cube, but there were several attached to it, and it's not operating at peak efficiency. They mention later that the flowers are not used to bringing down something so big. It was a bit of a shame though, because seeing something as terrifying as a Borg cube coming to the rescue is a new idea that I was looking forward to. But we'll see later. That cube ain't going anywhere ever again. Picard chooses this moment to exhibit symptoms of his dementia, just briefly. We get a nice little scene with Agnes doing her medical thing. It was nice to see and hear an old TNG tricorder. Agnes knows about his condition. The acting between these two is amazing in this scene. The way Alison Pill makes her mouth quiver with emotion? I have no idea how actors do that kind of thing, but I'm somewhat in awe of it. So, Picard tells the whole truth to his crew. Raffi's face, when she hears Picard's prognosis is terminal, is subtle but heartbreaking. They seem to be going out of their way to avoid using the words Eremotic Syndrome. I don't know why, but to be honest, it's kind of annoying me. They're clearly drawing from all good things, so for goodness sake, just say it and get it over with. And on that, we have yet to hear Picard say, make it so, even once on this show. That's Picard's most iconic catchphrase. And putting that into the script would not be an easter egg, it would not be fan service. It would be remaining consistent with his character. When Picard seeks opinions and recommendations from his crew, which has happened a number of times in this show, the words he always chooses to communicate his agreement and instruct them to proceed is, make it so. The whole thing is very glaring by its absence. It's like they're deliberately trying to avoid using it for some reason. I'll be disappointed if he doesn't say it next week. But I don't want them to just shove it in there either. There have been missed opportunities to use it naturally in the past. Anyway, moving on. Soji is pretty sure her fellow synths don't hate biological organisms. But I love Rios's line. They crashed my ship without even asking. That feels a little biased to me. The surface of the planet looks really cool. Rock formations, alien plants. It's a nice mix of the familiar but beautiful, which is live action, and the unusual, which is CG. So they're off to rescue Hugh and Elnor first. Of course, what they find is Seven and Elnor. The reunion between Elnor and Picard is very nice. And there's a nice final send-off for Hugh, where Picard and Seven talk about the loss together. So they've established the XBs are okay. There's nothing Picard can do for them. But Raffi and Rios are able to use the Borg sensors to determine that the Romulan fleet is two days away. And it's massive. It's time to take Soji home to her settlement. Honestly, I'm not sure why Seven and Elnor are staying behind. I mean, Seven came all this way specifically to help Picard. Picard says the XBs need protection more than him, which frankly seems like an absurd statement to me. But they're going to try and get the defensive systems online. I suspect the Borg Cube may end up being a refuge from the Romulans next week. 
it's feeling like they really haven't used Elnor's character to his full potential. He's barely spent any time with Picard and the La Serena crew. We spent an entire episode recruiting him. I don't think that's paid off as well as it should have. Anyway, off to the settlement. Which looks pretty cool. A very nice place to live. The synths that live here have tinted skin and yellow eyes like Data. They don't look as human as Soji. (laughs) And their skimpy outfits make this look a little like an episode of TOS. They also speak more like Data, as if they have a less advanced emotional program than Soji. Again, more like Data. The crew are welcomed into the facility, but Soji has to give the bad news. The Romulans are coming and the synths don't have anywhere near enough orchids. (laughs) I can't believe I just said that sentence. (laughs) And then the big surprise. Brent Spiner appears as himself, (laughs) fully human with no de-aging. Turns out he's playing Dr. Altan Inigo Sung, the son of Dr. Nunian Sung. It seems every male Sung of any generation looks just like Brent Spiner, (laughs) but it's a cool way to bring him back onto the show. It seems reasonable to me that Sung had a biological son. We know he had a wife, and it makes sense that the son would be this old. I mean, Sung was over 100 when we saw him die in TNG. But Altan's mother can't have been Juliana Sung, because she didn't marry Nunian until he was living and working on Omicron Theta. So I'd say Altan was the product of a previous relationship, probably long out of the picture by the time Data and Law were created. So then a more android-looking version of Soji reveals herself, first to Picard, and then to everyone else. This is Sutra, Janna's sister. It seems that there are a number of different models, and many copies of each model, but always in sibling pairs. If you're thinking this all sounds very familiar, you've probably seen Battlestar Galactica. The more I think about it, the more parallels I see. And let's just acknowledge that now we have Agnes walking around and mixing with all these synths. Risky business, if you ask me. And yes, we'll learn some information soon that may alleviate some of the anxiety. But they don't know that information yet. If I were the synths, I'd be pretty angry that Picard had brought this person into their midst. And this is where Sutra makes quite a jump mentally to a theory. She has very little evidence to support, but it makes sense. And it's really interesting. She theorises that the admonition was never intended for organic minds. We've seen how it drives many insane. But it's not the nature of the content as such, it's more of an incompatibility, which I like because it seems a lot more believable. I mean, we're going to see the full contents of the admonition shortly. I don't know about you, but it didn't make me want to commit suicide. So this is fascinating stuff. The theory is that Agnes was driven somewhat insane by the admonition, and that's why she killed Maddox. But now the madness is leaving her, and she's getting back to being her old self. This doesn't exactly justify her crime, but insanity is a legal defence that is often used. Agnes wasn't in her own right mind when she did what she did, which means she's not entirely to blame. Which means... She is less of a risk now. Okay, I'm with that. Not sure how Sutra made that leap, 
but the conclusion is logical and makes sense of a lot of stuff in the show. Sutra theorizes that the admonition was intended for synthetic minds, and this is where it gets a bit weird. Sutra is fascinated with Vulcan culture, and she has taught herself how to mind meld. And that's absurd. (laughs) Mind melding is not just a skill you can learn. The mind meld is a biological thing. The Vulcan brain has telepathic abilities. This is linked in some way to their sense of touch. Now, I can conceive that an artificial brain could be constructed to simulate the same telepathic functions of the organic Vulcan brain. I suppose so. But Bruce and Altan would have had to have constructed her specifically that way from the beginning. She can't just decide that she likes Vulcan culture and teach herself. I'm afraid I don't buy that, not one tiny bit. But I'm just going to have to accept it, as silly as I think it is. It does solve a story problem. They can't afford a big detour to take Sutra off to Grief World, and she needs to be able to see the admonition somehow. But Rios is against this, as he says Agnes is just starting to get over this. He's worried, and legitimately so, that this mind meld, forcing Agnes to relive the admonition again, could re-trigger her madness. Not only would that be bad for Agnes, but it could make her a danger to the synths once again. He's right to warn caution here. But Agnes feels the synths have a right to know, and this information could be the key to solving the whole mystery. So the mind meld goes ahead. Again, some great acting from Alison Pill. She's terrified to live through this again. So now, we finally get the whole truth behind all of this. And it's a bit of a twist. Organic life is fragile and impermanent. As it advances, organics seek perfection. And that perfection drives them to create synthetic life. But they always end up fearing that synthetic life and feeling threatened by it. Inevitably, this will lead to conflict. The big mysterious force out there does not come to wipe out races to prevent them from creating synthetic life, as the Jatvash believe. No, they are an alliance of synthetic life. They wipe out races to protect the synthetics. The admonition wasn't a warning to organics. It was a promise of help to synthetics. That's really interesting. At this point, I feel like everything has come together. It all makes good sense. A show like this lives and dies on the payoffs of its mysteries and mythology, and I feel that Star Trek Picard is doing a good job with its payoffs. So, well done to the team. A couple of little thoughts about the admonition message itself. First, why are all of the Starfleet imagery? We see Data's face, Starfleet logos, even an image of the Mars attack. Obviously, the ancient race couldn't have known about these things when they created the message. But perhaps it's that they tailor the message. I mean, they're still out there monitoring, adding new relevant imagery to the message. Except what we're seeing here came from the grief world 14 years ago. The Mars attack hadn't happened yet. So are we saying these synths can see the future? Personally, I think this is just a bit of sloppiness on the part of the show, 
choosing visual symbolism to aid the storytelling at the expense of in-universe believability. I really don't think there's any time travel or seeing into the future going on. Second thing, the way they show a human aging from a child to an old man was very impressive visual effects. And the shot of the fox dying and rotting away to nothing was impressive, but kind of gross and disturbing. Did they time-lapse film a real dead animal? I don't know. But it kind of made me uncomfortable. It's cool that Altan made android butterflies because he missed them. We have a nice conversation between Agnes and Altan. Altan makes it clear that he is not dismissing her crime. The loss of Bruce Maddox is a tragedy. Not just because human life is precious and the death of any human being is a tragedy, but because he was a great mind that could have done so much more. And she extinguished that. Perhaps her insanity defence means she's not guilty of murder as such, but she still owes a debt, and they both know it. Oltan offers her a chance to repay her debt. He shows Agnes what he's been working on. It's not entirely clear. We see a synthetic body. Is it an android, or is it a biological like Soji? I'm not sure. Agnes calls it a golem. The word golem comes from Jewish folklore. It is an anthropomorphic creature made out of clay, animated and brought to life by magic. She then starts talking about mind transfer. It seems Oltan has created an empty shell of a body into which he plans to transfer a living mind. Apparently, Altan was the body guy and Maddox dealt with what Altan calls substrates. Now, I'm wondering whose mind is going to end up in this thing by the end of the show. I think Altan is planning it for himself. Perhaps because of his age, maybe he too is dying. He says he recently regained an interest in mind transfer, along with a sense of urgency. His father, Dr. Nunyansung, also worked on mind transfer and successfully transferred his wife's mind into an android body at the time of her death. This android, Data's mother, continued to live, believing that she was a human, rather than an android with all the memories and feelings of that deceased human. Data discovered the truth about this, and chose not to tell his mother what she really was. I wonder if she's still out there? Sutra has a worrying plan. I understand where she's coming from. All they have to defend themselves from the Romulan fleet is a few space flowers, an old man, and his friends. They won't last more than a few minutes. And I can't argue with that. She wants to contact the Alliance of Synthetic Life. Get them to come in and bring hell, as Agnes put it last week. Wipe out the Romulans. Except I don't think they'll stop there. They'll wipe out all organic life in the Alpha Quadrant. Soji has an alternate plan. Repair the La Serena and flee this world before the Romulans get here. Apparently, there's room in that little ship for the whole colony of synths. Sutra believes they will never be safe as long as the Zutvash is out there. Again, she's probably right about that. But it doesn't justify what she's planning to do. She's operating from cold logic. She lacks Soji's humanity. And then Narek shows up. They've found him and they've brought him in. It was cool that we got to see Spot 2 
an artificial cat. Again, I'm asking, is it a robotic cat, or did they manufacture it biologically like Soji? This leads to a nice moment between Rios and Agnes. It shows that there really is still a spark of something between these two. It's actually kind of sweet. We also get a nice scene between Raffi and Picard. She has finally fully forgiven him for all that went on 14 years ago. We get a sense of just how close these two really are. She means every bit to him as much as Riker or Deanna or Geordie does. There's a really awkward moment between them as Raffi says she loves him. Picard shows a lot of growth as he manages to let himself say it back to her. Picard has never been one to express emotions to his crew. Heck, it took him seven years just to join his crewmates in their weekly poker game. I find Picard's character arc very satisfying. I feel like we're seeing the fulfilment of an arc that began all the way back in Encounter at Farpoint. That's awesome. Also, I don't read any hint of a romantic aspect to what these two are sharing. They love each other as close friends. That's a thing. Rios and Raffi are off to repair the ship with a magic repair device. I believe this is the last we see of them this episode. Jean-Luc is unable to get a message through to Starfleet. Uh, That's annoying. But it's not like Clancy can't figure out where he's gone. She's already got a squadron on its way to DS-12 to help him. Let's just hope Picard was smart enough to give her the coordinates of the planet before he set off without the squadron. I love how Narek is judging the synths on their treatment of him as a prisoner. And when Saga asks him how Romulans treat their prisoners, he says, Let's change the subject. There are two races you don't want to be a prisoner of in the Star Trek universe. Cardassians and Romulans. I also like that Soji is having none of Narek's talk. He's not going to smooth talk her back into trusting him again. That would be a huge disservice to her character. As soon as the camera zooms in on Saga's bird brooch, we know it's going to be the weapon that kills her. Not only is Soji not trusting Narek, she's very seriously considering killing him. She seeks Picard's counsel, and we have an interesting conversation about the morality of killing and the logic of sacrifice. He's not an idiot. He's concerned about what she might be considering. Picard isn't interested in having an academic, philosophical debate. He wants to know what they're really talking about. Sutra has a plan, and it makes sense. She knows her idea of calling the Synth Alliance is going to be a hard sell, so she needs a way to convince her brothers and sisters. So she lets Narek go, makes it look like he escaped and killed Saga. Just another reason for her siblings to believe that organics can't be trusted. When villains talk about sacrifice in stories, they're always talking about someone else. But the true meaning of sacrifice is paying that cost yourself. Self-sacrifice. The one who suffers the loss is the one making the sacrifice. Both Soji and Sudra are considering sacrificing the life of another for what they consider to be the greater good. For Soji, she's thinking of killing Narek. For Sutra, she lets her sister Saga die. Who actually carried out the murder? Her or Narek? It doesn't really matter. Ultimately, 
Saga's metaphorical blood is on Sutra's hands. The difference between Sutra and Soji is that Sutra carried out her plan. Soji is still wrestling with the ethics of hers. And then it's too late. Everyone would have been better off if Soji had killed Narek. Well, everyone except Narek. <laughs> but does that justify it morally? Personally, I'd say no. But you can see Soji's regret that she didn't act sooner. So Sutra makes a speech to her people. The organics came here, and now we have lost another sister. Notice how she puts all organics in one big basket. Narek and Picard are the same. They're both organics. Organics are not to be trusted. This is the very definition of prejudice. It's interesting to see the show demonstrating this prejudice from both sides, the Zatvash and the Synths. I feel like all the themes that this show has explored are all converging at this moment. It's really quite well done. And Altan Sung is siding with his synthetic children. He even helped Sutra create the beacon to contact the Synth Alliance. I wonder, does he believe he will be spared? Because it's pretty obvious Sutra thinks all organic life must be exterminated. Altan is right about one thing though. Picard can't guarantee that the Federation will listen to him. If anything, what Sutra is planning to do will make the Federation fear synths even more. In a way, Picard is probably viewing these synths as his second chance to succeed after he failed to help the Romulans. But Soji says, We can't be your means of redemption. We're too busy trying to survive. So Picard is placed under house arrest. They agree to let Agnes go free with a promise that she will protect them as a mother protects her children. She would die for them. And now I get it. I'm certain that Altan wants to transfer into his synthetic body so as to survive the coming apocalypse. They won't kill him if he's a synth too. Agnes will help him do that. But what about her? She'll die too unless she's in a synth body. Meanwhile, Rios, Raffi, Elnor and Seven are free and still able to help. But then so is Narek. And the Romulan fleet is 24 hours from the planet. Things are getting exciting. I'm very interested to see how it will play out next week in the season finale. All in all, another great episode. I'm continuing to love this show. I haven't hit any more milestones on my walk to Mordor since last episode. I've been a bit distracted, but I still manage to go for my morning walk some days. <laughs> the world is kind of crazy right now, isn't it? The company I work for has decreed that everyone works from home until further notice, which of course is business as usual for me, as I work from home by choice anyway. I know a lot of schools in other countries have closed. Here in Australia, our schools are largely staying open, but we've got school holidays coming up in a few weeks. The scariest thing locally is that we'll soon be heading into our winter, and Tasmania has pretty cold winters, so people are going to be more vulnerable to disease. Anyway, stay hopeful, as Picard would say, don't give in to fear. Don't panic by toilet paper or food, just get what you need and then there'll be enough for everyone. I'll catch you next week for the season finale of Star Trek Picard. Live long and prosper. Make it so.